Welcome to the Globe Trotten ADs. This podcast is for you, athletic directors, activity coordinators, coaches, and program associates based in international schools around the world. The Globe Trotten ADs is proudly hosted by Nick DeForest from the American International School of Vienna and Matt Fleming from the American International School of Budapest. Here they are now, Nick and Matt and the Globetrotten ADs. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of 2024 for the Globetrotten ADs. It's now January, and we're happy to be heading back into school very soon. Sort of happy. It's been a great break. Uh, I've been just back into Hungary now for a couple of days and getting my feet sorted and underneath me again to get ready to get back to work and kick off the new year. How you doing, Nick? Yeah, looking, uh, doing great here. Great, great break, but I'm definitely looking forward to going back uh, because it's about this time when I'm starting to panic of what do we need to do right away? And, oh man, I haven't paid attention to my emails for weeks. What what am I missing? What's, who's going to come in Monday morning and give me more work to do? So it's kind of like, you know, anxiety a little bit of just yeah. wanting to get in there and start and then I know it's going to be fine, you know? But, of course, uh, yeah, yeah. I feel that a little bit today too. Um, I, I, we were just having a chat before we got on on the recording, and I managed to not look at my emails for about two and a half weeks, which was really nice. <laughs> I just kind of didn't ignore them, and then yesterday I finally opened them up and took a look, see, took a peek. Yeah. Luckily. Major that I need to address right away, but a lot of stuff I'm going to have to get to just start getting, getting organized, getting ready for the new year. But uh, it's fine; it'll all fall into place as it does. Yeah. Uh, with- well, I mean, that's a good thing about this the Christmas or excuse me winter vacation is that almost everybody's off at the same time. So you know, people are you know doing their their thing with their family and they're not writing emails. Where maybe spring break or fall break or whatever, some schools are still in. Or, you know, the schools have a two-week spring break, and we only have one. And I'm like, why, why isn't no one, you know, why aren't these guys replying to my email? And they're thinking, why is he emailing me? I got a break right now. Yeah. But that's a good thing about winter. Oh, and so good. Like, like I really feel like what I needed, I got. And the recharging is good. It's been charging complete, so to speak. <laughs> Well, I'm off to Dusseldorf on Friday, and uh, we'll do a few things for the pod over there. Um, but we wanted to get one out right away. And with all the awesome conversations we had in Florida for the NIAAA conference, people kept asking and talking about things. What do you do this? How do you do that? What do you think about this? I thought maybe a Q&A type episode with just the two of us would be fun. So we have a lot of questions lined up. Um, thanks to everyone who sent me a WhatsApp question or gave me one in person back in Florida. And uh, we definitely won't get to all of them today, but we're going to get to a lot, right? Yeah, some 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 great stuff. Some uh, Very nice to have our colleagues help us out with this and give us some good questions. And uh, you know, I just want to say one more time, it was so good to see everybody there in Orlando and connect with folks and have some awesome PD. Really loved it. 
the only thing was a little disappointing was the Florida weather. It wasn't quite as good as I was hoping for, uh, a little chillier and windier, but it didn't matter at the end of the day because we were hanging out and having good times with uh, other friends who are ADs internationally and stateside and catching up, having great conversations, networking, and all around very good conference. Awesome. Well, let's let's get at it. Q&A, we will read some questions or read a question, um, say who it's from, and then uh, each kind of give our our thoughts, and, but not linger too long on each question, right? Matt, yep. uh, fire yep. Go for it. All right. So our first question, we're going to do a combo question from Juan. Uh, he has two, but we're going to mash it into one. So his question was, what was your biggest challenge as an international AD, and what were you most proud of in your tenure as a leader, as an AD? Wow. And I'm first. Now you planned this well. Um, thanks, Juan. Biggest challenge, I would think, would be to navigate the COVID ups and downs. I wouldn't say, you know, the pandemic as a whole, but the challenges of now this week you're allowed to do this and then next week you can't do that anymore you need to do this you know we had a lot of changing regulations in austria and it felt like we had to be on the ball all the time of what was coming in in german telling us what to do translating it and then getting that out to coaches and athletes because they all wanted to do whatever they could yeah but i think we did a great job yeah and you guys yeah. are doing a testing as well in like in the yeah testing every day and you guys are your office is in charge of that it was crazy um but yeah definitely a lot to navigate through and you, i always felt like because we were in touch a lot back then of course and we tried to schedule stuff and it was you could tell it was uh a lot of work because you guys were always a little bit ahead of us in terms of uh restrictions being lifted or being allowed to get back into your program right. with restrictions or without restrictions and it was uh yeah, you can definitely see where the challenges were coming through. Yeah. But I would totally agree. That was a wacky time, and I'm glad that's way way behind. Oh, yeah. Uh, most proud. I'll, I'll go to that one. But And I think it, it's tough. I, I, I don't, like, relish in doing good things all the time. I'm always looking for the next the next thing and, and don't kind of linger too long, which is it sounds bad, um, but it keeps me busy. I think, but most proud, I think, would be the, all the signage around our area and making the athletic area a place where everyone who comes in says, wow, you know, and wow, people really care about this, you know, program and department and area. You know, the it felt like every empty space I had, I, I put a sign or something uh, in it to, to kind of jazz it up and feel like a cool place. So I love walking into the athletics hallway and up past the gyms into our office and i i hope everybody else does too yeah if you've got i got a chance to get over the to nick's school uh to check that out it's it's pretty impressive and uh you could almost do a side business i'm telling you but <laughs> going into schools i'm telling them what they need to do to make jazz it up a little bit like um like we had uh juju Help right. us out with that one time from from doing it. So have a yeah, that was a great episode. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Matt? Yeah. So I think obviously to piggyback on what you said with 
the COVID challenges, that was pretty insane. Uh, and I'm sure everybody's got their own challenges they can discuss if we ask them all the same question. But, you know, for me, looking back after the after the pandemic, there was some some major shifts in how we organize our programs. So I think for me was um just thinking most recently was after the after the COVID times the our SCIS organization kind of broke up and some schools left and we had to find a way to uh see if we we're gonna keep it going. The CISA organization was changing. So for me it's been league changes and trying to navigate that so that the leagues could still stay stable or and finding out how our schools could participate and kind of keep the traditions that were there and uh you know following the examples of some good leadership in our from before us with uh other previous ad's and and partner league heads or execs for the groups so uh that was a big challenge trying to figure out okay what path we're going to go down what's going to be best for our school there was it was tough it was some you know a little bit of heartache involved and change and change isn't always easy for everybody but i think in the end it was the 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 right way forward with the decisions we made we did what was best for our school and other schools joined us who had the same idea so i think where we are now with that skis league uh is we're in a good place and i think it's so far so good and bringing back the housing which we've talked about that's been a big challenge and something we're pretty proud of for sure so so far so good um we just gotta keep the momentum going now super that's great yeah the league the responsibility outside of your own school walls right you know to make sure that the league functions as it should, you know, even for your own benefit, but it's, you know, we're all independent, but then connected. It's not, not easy. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Juan, for getting us off to a good start. A couple other people, of course, asked similar questions about challenges or, or mistakes or things like that. Um, so thanks for those. Turner was one of them, but he also had a question about something I actually haven't thought of before, but Turner Neal says uh, there has been talk about a Champions League style of tournament involving international schools from different international conferences. What do you see as the biggest challenge of making that happen? Interesting. Yeah, I mean, the idea of it sounds pretty awesome to have a mm -hmm. Champions League, um, but man, <laughs> that's, I mean, we're pretty good at logistics, right? Yeah. In our regions and knowing what we know and who we know and how things work. But man, I don't know how that would work. <laughs> how are you going to get a champion from you know the the APAC of Asia or whatever to play the European champion of ISTA? And okay, who wins that game? Who are they going to play next? So sure. yeah, it, it's uh, we you know in the U.S. every state of course has a state championships and they don't have a national championship, so it would be too chaotic to work out, but. Love the idea. I think it'd be super cool, but uh, yeah, I think yeah. I mean, so logistically, for sure, like even inner within Europe, you know, never mind changing continents. So logistics, of course. But I'll I'll add the you know, is it appropriate um, to what we're trying to accomplish with our kids and our teams? You know, I think our season-ending tournaments are already maybe too stressful. You know, you, you don't do much during the season or you have these friendly games and then bam, you fly over, you're playing in front of a packed gym in a tournament that has to decide a winner in two days. Um, it's totally different and it's, it's, uh, could put too much emphasis on winning already. 
So then to say the winner of that goes on to a Champions League or a Champions Tournament, it's even more pressure. Um, and I don't know if that's that's the right, you know, holistic thing for us. Actually, that's interesting because, you know, that used to be part of the the ISST model, right? There was a promotion-relegation system. And I wonder, that did that ever come out of any of the discussions, do you know, amongst them? Like, is this... Absolutely. A model in terms of like, what are we trying to accomplish? Is it winning over uh, international school? Right. Well, it, you know, that that promotion relegation, it, it tried to make tournaments in schools play equal caliber, you know, schools, right? So it helped the, the competition be more equal. Um, but, you know, that's hard when people are moving in and out anyway. But it, it made a... A crazy at the top of let's say division two was fine you win the tournament you move up that kind of thing is normal but then it made the relegation games in division one you know sometimes the most stressful and crazy games in the tournament and you're like you know you're not playing for well back then we had 12 teams sometimes so you know playing for 11th or 12th place you're playing for who goes down yeah. you know it was just crazy stressful with often really bad teams so then you got coaches super stressing out with kids that just maybe aren't good enough, you know, and definitely because they're just, they just, they're in 11th and 12th place, you know, and now all of a sudden it's super important. Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was an interesting time. I was on the bottom of a lot of tournaments. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. And then what do you do if you go back? Like, well, I guess we're going down to division two or what yeah. I don't know. We I've never been a part of that system in, in our yeah. affiliations, but just some some kind of interesting analogy. Totally. All right. What do you got next? What'd you pick? Uh. Okay. Let's see. Okay. What are the ways that you've seen your role and job change since you started being an AD? I know there's a lot of frustration out there right now, so. What is one thing that you think works better than now than did five years ago? And that's from okay. Kelly in Bangkok. Right. All right. Well, I think the, those two are related. My answers are related. Something that has changed and, and also what's working well right now, I think child protection safeguarding, um, that was a, a huge change and just the changing of, of the way of thought around our tournaments, you know, is what we're doing safe. You know, not just against predators that that side, but just safeguarding. You know, risk management every little bit. That was a huge a huge change. But I think it's going really well. I think constantly thinking about the safety. You know, like we've put uh, other things. We put up uh, padding in front of a rock wall that's on the side of our soccer field. You know, that's come just by hey, you know, thinking more about safety for kids. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, I think it's working well because I don't think it's over the top. It's not too much of an emphasis yet. It's not all about it. We're not eliminating all risk, at least in Europe. But so, yeah, what's mine? Yeah, that's that's a great example because, you know, I, I think when I look back, when I first got into international education 20-some years ago, much different back then in terms of uh, how you would organize things or how things were organized. You'd go to a tournament. Yeah, it wasn't uncommon to go down in the lobby if you're staying in a hotel with kids and there's other teams in the, with their coaches to see a coach drinking a beer 
in the lobby, you know, oh, teams up in the room or wherever. Sure. Just, you know, which you kind of look at it like, hmm, that's, that's odd. I don't know if that should be happening, but there was the, there wasn't this whole structure right there now and guidelines and, and like major emphasis put on the whole, uh, all of our programs with the whole concept of safeguarding. So that way it's been much different than it was when I first got into this business a long time ago. But I think for the better, because you're putting safety, of course, and safeguarding at the forefront, which is what should be done anyways. But I don't know. I think it's also part of the, you know, the, the way international schools operate nowadays versus 10, yeah. even five years ago. It's like, it's just much different that, which is, it's take, taken the forefront in a lot of schools. And I think probably for the better, almost the point a little bit ad nauseum. I'm sure a lot of would, would agree, yeah. but you can't uh, dismiss it as something you should shrug off. I mean, our school has gone to the point where we even had uh, hired an outside uh, company to come in and work with us, the John Foundation, uh, which we'll talk more later in for future episodes that are really helping us out with risk assessment and um, you know planning tr for trips and uh, mitigation, mitigating risk and you know, what to do with circumstances. So I think that, that part's helpful because if, especially if you have some new people coming in who haven't really had a lot of experience of being on a, trips abroad with kids right. and they're not sure what to do, or maybe they're, they're given a good overview of what should happen. But I think having systems in place and constantly keeping it at the forefront is, is helpful. Right. More than cover, it's more than just covering your butt. Yeah, it's more yeah. than it should be done. So, yeah, for sure, that's huge. Good answer. <laughs> I was that's not what I was thinking, but I, I totally agree. I think my my question or my immediate thought was, for some reason, was our our internal systems of data and getting signups and how kids are registered for teams. We use you know our our internal system is Veracross, which is. Uh, pretty good. It's taken a long time to figure out how to work it, um, but I've had good support with my tech folks and a lot of trial and error. But I think we got it now to a system where our registrations are pretty straightforward. How parents pay for trips, uh, I think we've made it a lot easier. There's not there's a lot less back and forth. I think with parents now when yeah. it comes registering for teams and trips, so that's been helpful. And the automation of it has been. Yeah has been pretty good. So that's something that's been pretty, pretty significant from now versus what we were saying five, six years ago. Yeah. I, I would share. So di digitalization, right? Uh, share a funny story that quick one that Andy Harrison tells me that when he first came to Vienna and they had tournaments, he wasn't the AD. He was the head of PE for a couple of years first that kids would show up. Other kids from other schools would show up for the tournament or for the, exchange weekend and then after the game the coaches would be like all right who's taking this kid home who's taking this kid home and they would just do like <laughs> on the fly and then you know they'd always be like coach i don't have space like, for two more yeah no just take them just take them it'll be fine let's <laughs> uh, get a chuckle up at that because that's not that long ago no no yeah yeah i'm sure Andy would have some good stories to share too like changes yeah. right yeah all seen him, but yeah, yeah. All right, I picked that one. You picked the next one. Okay. All right. So, oh, here's a good one. 
from again from Kelly. It just happens to be from Kelly. Good job, Kelly. Uh, in to interview anyone on this podcast, living or deceased, who would you want to interview, and what is one question you would ask them? That's crazy. That's a tough. You know, I always want to have people that are like really relevant to international schools. Um, you know, I wouldn't want to have Michael Jordan on here. I don't know. He couldn't. I mean, that would be amazing. Who would I? Who would I want? International. Some big international athlete. You know what? Ah, uh, Kerr, Steve Kerr. I guess it would be him. You know, because he went to, you know, That'd... Beirut and he went to Cairo. Um, we've tried to get him on the podcast. Even got his e- email of his personal assistant. No, no doing. Um, so I think, yeah, that would be that would be mine for sure. It could get, for sure. What about you, Matt? It's funny because I you know, sometimes I think about it. you. You get that question like sometimes too, like, oh, if you could have dinner with one famous person or something. Right, right. And for me, as of late. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger. I don't know why. I just think he'd be super interesting. Uh, he's coming from a kind of an international background. Of course, he's now in the U.S., but he's had so much success across so many different platforms. Yeah, what what that has to do with us is ADs. There's a lot of commonalities and similarities, yeah. but I don't. Know, I just find him fascinating. In fact, from Austria, one of my favorite countries, and. I just I, I view it as a like a dream day would be able to go skiing with Arnold and go hang out and have some wellness and smoke cigars and talk life. Let's <laughs> get into it. Not relevant, but very good, very good. So, uh, yeah, if anyone knows either of those two people, let them get that happen somehow. Right, so, um, that's so, good. somebody in the bank, right? You got to have somebody in the in the back of your head all the time, like, gosh, who would you want to target? Or it's, it's more yeah. topical for us. I think we come up with an idea or something we want to talk about, like, okay, well, who can we get that's pretty good in that area? Yeah, exactly. I agree. Well, that's a funny, that's a good funny one. I think I have a funny answer for this next one. Jason Culler, our uh, Oklahoma boy asked, what qualifications or credentials do you look for when searching for coaches? You want a minute? I know my answer. The willingness to work, the yeah. <laughs> and the time needed to come up to school for practices and games. That's yep. number one. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And then you know, because we, you know, we've always had it before too. We got people who just can't commit for whatever they want to do it, but they're like, eh, eh. you know, it's not the right days. It's I get that too. It's too or school's too far away. It's not. It's too far of a commute. It's, it can't. It won't work out because of the yeah. time. You know, it's tough. It can be tough with the times after school. You know, the, the tournament weekends and all that. Make sure it lines up. So, a lot of ways, we're lucky we can get people in house because it automatically lines up anyways. So that helps. But uh, you know, I, of course, the the usual things we're looking for in outside of commitment and being able to just show up and do the job. <laughs> But they, of course, for me, number one is going to be lining up, understanding and lining up with our philosophy of what we want to yeah. do with kids and in our program. So what, what what are the outcomes we want for kids once they get through a season in our program and with our teams? Yeah. And that's mostly you're even more relevant when you hire uh, external coaches, right? You know, questions that they, they realize this isn't the, 
the club team that they maybe coached before, you know, it's uh, yep. more inclusive. So, well, let me let me ask let me just ask the next one because it, it, it answers or they go into the same thing. Um, Andre Silva asks, "What has been the biggest challenge with coaches after the pandemic?" And to me, getting coaches seriously that's why my answer to the last one is if you have time um i've had serious problems the last three seasons um we filled the last couple coaching slots after tryouts started uh in the winter season and we still don't have enough swim coaches um right now but it's it's an it's barely enough but um so that's my biggest challenge with coaches after is people having time to coach yeah same yeah, and along those lines, um, because of, you know, we were start last year was the first year we were able to start traveling full time for the season. And a little bit the year before, like towards the spring of twenty two, I think it was, we could start traveling again. That was great. But the whole of last year was spent sending an extra person, which I know you guys are doing as well. Yeah. And finding that third person to travel with the team when you have two coaches or a coach and a chaperone and finding a third person by the end of last year, we were really, really running on fumes of trying to get people to go on the trips and, you know, lining up with, okay, well, who is it? And how many days have they already missed this year? And well, yes, you know, and the way they're going to get paid or they get, you know, so there was a lot of challenges to sort through to make those trips happen and make sure we were following our safeguarding procedures and, and make them as viable as possible. Right. Right. But yeah, that was, that was big. So I think with going back to housing for us, that's been one relief is not, we had a third person, but we still have trips where kids are going to go away and we are going to do one overnighter this, this season. But that's going to be a little more doable than six at the end of the season where you try to get three people on every trip. That's a lot of people out of the building. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm next. Again, from Andres Silva. I thought it was going to be the one next down on the list, but it's uh, how do you find balance between your work, your family, and your personal life? Yeah. How do you pair everything with that? Lorena Lorena also asked a very, very similar question. Um, I think the way that that's worked well is not having to be at everything at school. So we got a good team, obviously, of people. Um, but, you know, you don't have to be there. Or I don't have to be there for every game and every practice. You know, there's days of the week that, boom, soon as school's over, I'm out of there. And coaches are capable. There's a nurse on duty. They all have my phone number if something really goes on. Um, and then when there is something, I can switch off with Andy. You know, like Andy does stuff some Saturday, and I don't have to be there. Or I do some and he doesn't have to be there. So I think having other people that you can rely on and not having to do everything yourself um, has been a great way to balance that because I don't have to be there till the end of the last basketball game uh, every weeknight. Or maybe don't have to be there before all the teams show up on a Saturday morning. I can come in later, you know, and, and switch it off. So finding people that you can do that with, you know, either having a good assistant or putting a little more uh, emphasis on the coaches to, to maybe set something up and, and you be there maybe when the game starts and not 
an hour before. I don't know, something like that. Yeah, so a lot of that comes, making sure you have good systems in place, right? And, and like you had said, having the nurse in place, well, okay, what else is going to need to be set up in advance or something that just makes life a little easier? So that comes with experience and know-how and being on the job. Yeah, um, yeah that's definitely probably helped decrease your stress a little. Yeah. Um, you- yeah, me with balance of work and personal life, I think for me, more so the last few years along those lines is, being able to just kind of like I, we talked about at the beginning, like I wasn't going to check emails. Like that was a done deal. I made them myself. So you're not, it's not happening. And I was, I did actually pretty good at it. I didn't stress out about it. I just didn't do it. Yeah. And, and I felt better for it by not doing that. So I think being able to listen to yourself a little bit, talk yeah. through those things, like, and, and know, yeah, it's going to be okay. You're not going to do anything majorly wrong or there, you know, you you're pretty confident and confident in yourself. You know that the major stuff you're going to always be there for, anyways. But usually, it's those little things I think that are really the nitpicky things that grind at people and and, and stress them out. And you know, I think there's a there's a famous saying that goes, "Don't sweat the petty stuff and don't pet the sweaty stuff." <laughs> it's, like, it's like, yeah. It's it's true in a way. So, but you got to find out what those things are. You got to figure out what those things are and what's you know not going to overwhelm you and put you in a place where you're going to panic or make a mistake. That's what we want to avoid, of course. Right. Right. But I just try to keep you know for me too is just trying to stay active and healthy and stay uh, keep up my fitness helps out a lot. I, I like to take advantage of the facilities we have at school. You know, it's going swimming or working out when I can. So just, just making that part of my routine and keeping it the, the forefront too. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's a great one. Well, how about what sport do you think has the most camaraderie among opponent coaches from cat? Can't go on. Uh, and which sport are opponent coaches most efficient? <laughs> I was going to leave the second part of that question out. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know, uh, you notice anything from other schools and in and, and, and tournaments and things, Matt? No, it's, I think we probably had more of a cohort of folks previously. I mean, now with the, our new league situation, I think people are getting to know each other a little, but we still have some schools that were part of CISA, but now part of SCIS. Like with the old CISA schools like us, Warsaw, Prague, and and Bucharest, so some people know each other, right? Um, so it's kind of early days to say who amongst those folks are the most um, uh, the most camaraderie. It's hard to say. I mean, I I think from my observations of when I had a couple tournaments and we had the coaches' dinner, it seemed like pretty much everybody was getting along pretty good and sharing stories and ideas and that's what i always like to see too we have these these tournaments is the the stories people can share they're, they they don't realize it but they're actually doing professional de- development in a way because okay. of all the talking that's going on um but i think in in the past i've seen uh swim coaches seem to be very uh the camaraderie seems pretty pretty good i think with those the sports a lot of times it's, the contacts not involved yeah, the relation to the camaraderie can probably be a little higher. 
Um, but I've noticed that just with cross country track and swim coaches, like I think also there's a there's a component of fitness involved. That a lot of times you'll find your your swim coaches, your your track coaches, right. there to it themselves as well. So like they have a lot to talk about in terms of their their personal approach towards the sport and the coaching. Right. I did find like we don't host any of those things. So and I haven't coached them right, but thinking of baseball, I know we always had a lot to share um, with each other because we felt like there wasn't really big, huge baseball communities at our school. So once we were at a tournament and I had 12 team tournaments, then it was really a chance to, to connect with people. But from what we host, it's funny you mentioned like the, the contact in there and this, obviously this is generalizing, you know, but I find soccer coaches that have the most camaraderie and on the other side, basketball coaches, and they're both like contact sports, but I think soccer and not growing up a soccer guy, but it's okay to foul each other and roll around and moan and scream at the ref and scream at everybody. That's just part of the game. And then when the game's over, everybody's fine. And then they go have a laugh where in basketball, it's how much is allowed. It's really nitpicky, the rules. And I find the coaches then really stay stay upset afterwards you know yeah but it's it's fun to, also, also there's lots of soccer coaches in our region that have been around for a long time um you know like our our varsity boys coach in zurich and um the hague and p- places like that so that helps of course too yeah questions all right what do we got two more maybe yeah all right our next question is coming from mark Jespers, and it's a good one. Short but sweet. How do you balance being inclusive and competitive in your athletics program? Yes. Well, we always say we have a competitive program because there are cuts. There could be cuts from varsity to JV. We try to make B teams and C teams. We try to include everybody, but we don't always. So there's that aspect, right? So we we do try to balance it with that of making other teams. Um, But inclusivity, you know, being inclusive doesn't mean that we're going to just take everybody, not by definition anyway, right? But I do feel that once we have, and I'm sure this is the same for almost every school, international school, once we have made the team by whatever means we did, we have everyone play or have rules that everyone needs to play. Um, Maybe not in the finals of the tournament or something, but in every game. So I think that's how we balance it is that we get as many people playing as we can. We try our best to make more teams or push the roster limits, you know, as, as big as we can. But then once they're on the team, they're all going to play. They're all going to get game time. Yeah. I think for us, it's, uh, it's, it's a matter of managing, uh, space of course, and time and personnel can you get an extra person to do it i think i've been fortunate i've been able to find people who okay let's have a we're gonna have a jv a second jv girls volleyball team because it was so popular so many kids came out and we didn't want to just let them go and we've managed to find a plan and there it took flexibility on everybody's part because we did have to share space we did have to jumble the schedule around a little more and, and make a friday practice which Worked out for the most part. The kids who wanted to be there on a Friday, they were on the developmental team. They came, and I got an extra person who would come and work with them too. So 
that was great to see because there was there was a commitment on both parts, and then the, and uh, we made it happen. So, um, so I think anytime we can make it happen, and there's good planning in place, and you you understand what the outcome you want from that too, other than just hey, you're going to come get your cast time. Don't worry, we're gonna, you know, I mean, there was a little more into it than that because there was an expectation showing up and and being there for the practice and making it worth everybody's time. So, yeah. But then we could also have the competitive part too, if we could. We were actually able to enter that second team into a local tournament. So that was a great way to um, kind of cap off that season, make it even more worth their time. Cool. All right, well, we I got a, so many good questions. Um, we're not getting to all of them, but we have a doc here of, of our Q&A questions, and uh, it was fun, so I think we'll do it again. I mean, Matt, add some of those other ones. And, yeah. uh, and a second episode, but we're going to end with one last, last question. John Powell, who we got to spend some time with taught 904 with me in, in Orlando. Great, great guy with the question of all questions to, to end. What would you put on a taco? That was nice. <laughs> and you know, his, his wife has a taco business, I think, right? Very good cook, right? That's what really so, so we need to make it down to Brazil sometime. Check this out. Uh gosh. Hey, taco. Okay. I mean, I think of like taco. I go to Taco Bell. This is a bad comparison. <laughs> we have taco night here, right? So I, I like every taco, but I'm gonna have to go with uh the works like sour cream. Cheddar cheese, lettuce, the meat, little guacamole, and my Frank's Red Hot. I put that on everything, just like the label says. So there's definitely going to be some Frank's on there, too, make it worth my while. There you go. Some Frank's. That's a good one. Well, I'll have talk. We made tacos two nights ago, and I, I really don't care what's inside. Veggies, onions, any kind of meat, fake meat, beans. I don't care. But my go-to... And my answer for this is I always make double-decker tacos. So you get the hard shell, you got the soft taco around it, right? So get the soft taco, put some cheese on it, microwave, 20 seconds, yes. wrap it around the hard taco. Double-wrapped. It's amazing. Because hard tacos are just too hard. They, they break, and but I like them. I like the crunch, so. Yeah. That's it. It's my go-to. All right, I'm going to try that next time. Thanks, Dick. More share, as always, here on the Globetrot and AD. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was some good stuff. We have more questions, of course. We're going to get to the next batch. Uh, maybe we'll do a little recap when you return back from your trip to Dusseldorf. Yeah. yeah. And look forward to hearing all about that. And you're going to be doing some uh, some chatting with folks up there, get some feedback and get some pod material. Um, yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, I won't be able to join you this time, but I'll I'll try to make sure I'm at the next one. Yeah. Schedule just a little too hectic to start off the new year. It is tough right after the new year, and then there's yeah. conference meetings and things like that also right, right around this time. So, Yep, but we got some other good pods in the works. A couple authors coming on. I know a couple of you guys uh, got some other ideas and things to pull out this year and get us to and past 100 episodes. All right, we're almost there. 
put a cap on 94. <laughs> and uh, that leaves us with five more to get to our magical 100. Looking forward to it. All right, everybody out there, have a great start to the new year. And we'll chat more and have more good stuff for you on the Globetrotting ADs here in 2024. Cookery are a global multi-sport clothing brand specializing in providing the world's most prestigious schools with bespoke made and designed team uniforms for students of all standards and abilities. If you are frustrated by inconsistent colors, branding, costs, and sizing across your school's uniforms, then it's time to discuss an offering where every sport is available from softball to soccer for male and female athletes at rates to suit your budget. To find out how Cookery could elevate the apparel of your student-athletes to a professional level, email the team at contact at cookerysports.com. A dedicated sales manager will offer you a quote today. Mention this ad and receive a special offer on your coach or PE staff order. Until next week, this has been another episode of the Globetrotten ADs.